0: Boy, what a powerful, powerful song that is. My name's Nate, wanna welcome you today. Can we welcome everybody online too real quick? Just wanna say hello to them and welcome you into this place. And uh, we're in this series called Icon where we're talking about the icon of Jesus from Colossians chapter one. Uh, So if you got your Bible, that's where we're gonna be or you can open your Bible app, uh, you can check that out. Uh, But before I do, you know what we've been talking about in this series is that we would really see Jesus for who he is because when we see Jesus for who he is, we begin to know who we are. And that's the way he's made it, that we are made in his image, we are made for his glory, we are made for his purpose, and that's where we get our identity and purpose in this life. And we sing that song, Build Your Church. The only thing is this, sometimes we feel like maybe God will do a good work in his church in a little while. Uh, or work. If we can be honest in this place, uh, we're all a work in progress. Amen. Right? You know, and some of you are like leaning over and hitting your neighbor. You're like, yeah, you're a real work in progress. Right? But, but here's the thing: we come together in this place, and that's why we're here. Because all of us are in a work in progress, and we're saying, God, build your church. God changes. The only thing is this. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can miss where God is already building his church. And I just want to celebrate with you, Northside family, somewhere that God is building his church through us, his church, uh, and it's over in Romania. Uh, what's happened this last week, literally, uh, during the Saturday night service, right when the Saturday night service started, uh, we, we mentioned this about a month ago, uh, that our mission partner in Romania was going to be receiving 50 refugees from the Ukraine. And we asked you guys to pray about being able to give beyond your normal giving. You can do that at mynorthside.com. We asked you just to think about praying about how you can help those in need. And uh, we asked our mission partner, we said, hey, you know, what what do you need? They said, well, we we know we're gonna need to help them for the next three months, Uh, food, clothing, everything. A lot of them will be coming here with nothing. And uh, we said, well, what does that cost us? say? It's going to be about $40,000 over the next you know, three months to do that. And so we put that, out, that ask out to you guys. And uh, sadly to report, we didn't raise 40000 We raised $50,000. And uh, that's just kind of how the church does it, man. It's just this amazing thing of... You know, we just kind of all step in and go, God, what do you want us to do? And how do you want us to meet? And uh, what's incredible is this. uh, Our mission partner in Romania, what they began to do is transform their center where they reach out to the Roma people there. They transformed it to get ready for 50 people to stay on their property. They transformed all sorts of stuff. They built bunks with our generosity. They began to provide food. And then what was amazing was this, last week, When the Ukrainians showed up, they showed up, and here's what was so cool about these people. They didn't come looking for a handout. You know what the first thing they did? They started cooking chicken. They said, we're here to make a Ukrainian meal. They said, we haven't been able to make one of these for a month. And they just began to cook food, and they came together, and they ate together. And what was amazing is this. They would sit around the table. You had Romanians and Americans and Ukrainians and the Roma people coming together. And then over a meal, one of the Ukrainians said this. Why are you guys doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you thinking about us? And what we heard from our mission partners was this. They just began to weep because they had an opportunity to tell those who have lost absolutely everything about the love of God that can change everything. (laughs) And they said they were just around the table. They just began to cry and they said, you tell us more about this love. And they said, this is what we believe that Jesus does. He steps in for those and he stands up for those that have been abused. That the church steps up for those who have been forgotten. And see the Ukrainian people that showed up, these are people who have businesses. These are people who are bright, capable. They had cars, they had everything. And in the middle of the night at 4 a.m., many of them had to leave only with their pajamas and no possessions. And what they encountered in their most powerless moment was the power of Jesus. And what you and I encounter today is our icon who meets you and I in our most powerless moment. And he gives us the power of Jesus. And this is the joy that we get to have as the church that we can come in here this week. Maybe you've had the worst week of your life. Maybe you feel absolutely overwhelmed and you need to know that you have a savior who meets you right where, he, right where you are And he begins to do a good work in us. That's why we're doing this series called Icon, because we want to see Jesus for all that he is. And, and I love that, that Paul in Colossians chapter one just kind of lets loose with the gospel. I, I want to encourage you to, to memorize this verse this week, but even go back and read all of Colossians one. And, and I said this a couple weeks ago, the reason why I really love the book of Colossians is it's four chapters long. So I can like read it in 15 minutes and feel good about myself, right? What'd you do this morning? Read a book of the Bible, you know, and, but, but I do, I, I love Colossians and Paul in this passage here in Colossians chapter one, he just goes off he just goes this is who you need to know who Jesus is and listen what he says about this because you know the Ukrainian people they were asking this question why are you doing this and maybe you've been asked that question before from family members or co-workers when you've loved them with the love of Christ maybe you've been asked this question why are you doing this for me where is this coming from this is what Paul wanted to remind the church in Colossae, and he wants to remind us today in verse 18 about who Jesus is, our icon. Listen to what he says in verse 18, just one verse today. He says this, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the church. You know how the church is gonna last no matter what comes up culturally? It's because Jesus is the head of the church. And he, Jesus, is the head of the church He is the beginning, meaning he's over all of creation, and he's also the firstborn from among the dead. That's what we're going to celebrate at Easter, that he's overcome death and sin. And then he goes on to say this, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in every situation... Whether you've lost everything, you would know the supremacy of Jesus. What's interesting is Paul only uses this word supremacy one time. This is the only time in all of scripture that Paul uses this word supremacy. And what he was reminding the church is this, that when you feel powerless, you have a God of power on your side. And now here's the thing, the power of God oftentimes will not look like the power of this world. That's why it can be very confusing. It can look like where is the power of God when this is going on and then you see the power of God step in. Now here's the deal for a lot of us in this place. A lot of us would say that maybe we don't have a problem with power, but we would say this. We have a problem with control. I won't even make you raise your hands, but just mentally, who in this room are control freaks? Or maybe point to them. No, I'm just joking. Don't point to anybody, right? You know, and here's the thing. You know, a lot of us in this room we go, I may not struggle with power, But because you go, I don't have any power. What power are you talking about? I don't have, you know, I'm not over power. I'm not over people. Here's the thing. You and I can struggle with control and not be over anybody. But we struggle with control in our life. I found this to be true uh, even with kiddos, right? They call it the terrible twos for a reason. Because what is the most popular word of a two-year-old? No. No. Like, don't you know who feeds you, right? No, and they flip the, you know, the, the plate over or whatever. And then it's the favorite word of a kid is no. And here's what they're saying. You're not gonna control me. You're not gonna have any control over me. I found it funny during the final four last night. uh, You know, I I came home and I wanted to make sure that the kids were not gonna watch whatever they wanted. Dad was gonna watch what he wanted. And what was funny was this: two-year-olds say no, and dad last night said no, right? You know, just you know. But because here's the deal: you know, if you want to see how big of a control freak you are, if you want to measure it, I'll let you go. Hey, give me some real, you know, unspiritual measurements here. Here's how much of a control freak you can see where you are. It's this who holds the remote in your house, right? You're gonna find out, right? Conflict's gonna to come to the surface real quick, right? Here's the deal, here's why. Because oftentimes, without knowing it, we struggle with control. Two-year-olds struggle with it. We struggle with it when we grow up and we have parents who ground us, who set parameters around us, with teachers, with coaches, with bosses, with the law, Turns out actors can't go through an award ceremony and keep control, right? You know what I'm saying? Like like you go, at some point you think we're gonna, hey, we'll we'll get everything under control. That's why self-control is a fruit of the spirit, right? Because here's the deal, we're gonna struggle with it. We're gonna struggle with keeping control and controlling our emotions and controlling our words. We don't like it when presidents do different things. We don't like it when pastors do different things. I had a conversation this week with uh, a guy I just became friends with this year and didn't know a bunch of his story. We just kind of met through a mutual friend and met him and we got to hang out and I was talking with, this, with him this week and uh, just getting to learn a little bit more of his story and he shared a whole lot of his story. Turns out he's gone through a terrible situation through the church that he grew up in, was abused, all sorts of stuff. And uh, he knows I'm a pastor, and he, he just shared a story with me. And then just very honestly, he said, Nate, that's why I don't trust organized religion. And what he was saying is this, I don't trust it, because the people who were in control weren't trustworthy. And what happens is, this is why it's a big deal. This is why Paul says these words, that he's the head of the church And that he's the beginning, he's the firstborn over all creation so that in everything he may have the supremacy. Because this is what Paul knows and this is what Jesus knows is this, we have a problem with control. And oftentimes here's what happens, power and control becomes a problem. And here's why, because we start from the wrong place. We start with this idea sometimes and we may not even say this out loud, but we believe and we do stuff like this. If I could just get control over this area, my life would be complete. Or if I could have power over this, or if these people wouldn't have power over me here, then everything would work out. And this is why Paul was pointing this back to this people. He said, no, you need to understand, here's how life can flourish. It's this, is that in everything, Jesus would have the supremacy in our life that we actually get the control that we're looking for and the power that we need to live this life through Jesus, this is the big idea for us today, is this is that power and control is in the person of Jesus. This is why things have got to come around all of Jesus. And the question for you and I today is this, it's not just that the power is in Christ. The challenge for you and I today is this, how do we live in his power? How do we begin to live in this power? How do we begin to live according to his way? This is why self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. Here's the mistake I made growing up. It's this, when there are areas of my life, specifically even spiritual areas that I wanted to change my life, this is what I thought. I would get power from either my energy of changing it or my effort or something in this world changing it. And what I found was this, that's not how I got control. The only problem is this, I would only find that out after I tried it for like 14,000 times, right? Like this week, you know, when do we start a diet? Monday, right, tomorrow. And then when we start it again, the next Monday, right? You know, it's one of those things where we go, okay, this week I'm really going to get control. This week I'm really going to get control. This week it's going to go on and on. And then this is what I realized in scripture is this, there's two different types of power in this world. There's this power that James chapter three explains to us this. There's this power that's below, and then there's a power that comes from above. Oftentimes, this is our conflict. We're trying to change the things in our life from the power below, not from the power above. Listen what James chapter three says in verse 13. He introduces us to this different type of power, this different type of way of Jesus. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom, that comes from power, that comes from this control. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, such power, such control does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Whoa, right? Now, a lot of times we'll say, boy, that's earthly wisdom or that's unspiritual. But do you notice how he links all three together? It's earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Let's just be honest. What we see happening right now in Ukraine from the invasion of Russia, bitter envy, selfish ambition, earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. He goes on to say this, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. James is saying, heads up, if you're not careful, you're going to go after a power and control that actually is going to bring more evil into this world by how you do it. But then in verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure. This power that comes from God, this control from the spirit, it's pure, it's peace loving, it's considerate, it's submissive. It actually helps us serve one another. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. It's peacemakers who sow in peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. It's a totally different power. And this is where the church is called back to. This is why Paul calls the church back to this. So that in everything, he would have the supremacy that you and I would live by a different power. And some of you go, Nate, what's the big deal about this? Here's the big deal. We find Jesus being tempted the same way you and I are tempted with power. The third temptation in the desert that Satan gives Jesus is this. If you remember the story, he says this. He goes, if you worship me, I will give you power over all the nations. I'm gonna give you power over everything, but you gotta worship me. And really, here's the thing that he was tempting Jesus with. Live a life without faith. Live a life without faith and God. That was the temptation that Satan was given Jesus. I'll give you power, give up your faith in God. See, this is the same temptation you and I face today. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to turn away from the power that's from above, this pure power from God that helps us, that's selfless to go after a power that's of this world. But see, this is the good news. This is why he says this, that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Here's the hope for the church today. The hope for the church today isn't in a pastoral staff. Here's the hope for the church. The hope for the church is found in who's the head of the church. That the head of the church is Jesus. This is the one who's leading us forward. In the midst of our darkest times, in the midst of our greatest shame, you have a savior who's redeeming and restoring. I I love what they found in the sixth century. In uh, the desert of Sinai, they found this icon, this painting of Jesus, and this was the name of the painting from the 6th century called the Pantocrator, uh, and, and this is when the church would gather together. They would see this painting on the wall when they'd come in. It'd be like having this out in the lobby, right? And, and the church would come together, and they would see this painting. Now, look at the painting real close, closely, all right? What you see is when you see the face of Jesus, you see actually two different things, Look at it closely, you see the left side and then you see the right side. And this this icon was called the lion and the lamb. It's the lion and the lamb. And here's why, when you look at the left side combined, when you take both sides of the left and you put them together, this is what you get. You get the lamb. Turns out if you meet this guy at a nighttime, you're like, I'm not afraid of this dude, right? right? He's not intimidating and here's why. What they wanted to remember in the church was this, you have a savior who's approachable. You have a savior who's the lamb, who's come to lay his life down, who is for you. And then if you take the right side and you combine it, you have middle linebacker Jesus, right? And, uh, and you go, that's a bad dude right there, right? Like that's a legit guy right there. And here's why. And here's the thing, they have the truth and what they wanted to remember is this, you have a savior who is approachable. You have a savior who loves you. And you also have a savior who is strong as the day is long, who is faithful and true. Now, here's the problem with this. Oftentimes, we've grown up with one or the other, not both. See, when you grow up with a picture that Jesus is only lamb, here's what your thought is. Yeah, 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 Jesus died for me, but he can't help me. Can't help me. He's just kind of this weak, gangly guy. Thank you for dying for me, I'll take it from here. Or this is your church experience, you grow up with middle linebacker Jesus, right? And all you knew was this, your Sunday school teacher would just like slap you on the hand with a ruler, right? And what happens is this, we go, yeah, 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 I believe in the word of God, but I don't actually think that God loves me. See, this is why we can't separate grace from truth. Jesus is 100% grace and he's 100% truth. He is the power that we need to save us. He is the power that it is to lead us forward. Jesus even says it this way in John chapter 10, when he begins to describe who he is, he begins to talk about him being the good shepherd. And he says this in in John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, he says, I am the gate that whoever enters through me will be saved and he will come in and go out and find pasture. But the thief, Satan, only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus didn't come to just take all of your fun away. He actually came to give you life. He says this in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, this is the Savior that we have. We have a Savior who's come, and he's laying his life down. It's this love of Jesus who says, yes, I'm all powerful, but here's what I wanna do with my power. I wanna lay it down to save you. But then I love this, so there's the grace, and then here's the truth that he says in verse 17. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I would lay my life down only to take it up again and listen to the power of this statement from Jesus in verse 18. No one takes it from me. Middle linebacker Jesus, right, speaking right there. Nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my father. See, Jesus wasn't just murdered on a cross because he couldn't stop the Romans and the Pharisees. Jesus laid his life down full of all power, because real power sacrifices for the good of others. See, our problem with power and control today is this. We need to understand where power comes from and what power is for. That's where power gets corrupted is when power forgets where it comes from and it forgets who it's for. And then what I love is this. Paul reminds us, it's not just what Jesus did in that moment. Jesus also created his church A place where the power of his spirit can go and to help and to guide people into this relationship. This is why I love in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, Paul says this. This is what God is doing. It says that now through the church, through the church, through broken people, through powerless people, God is revealing his manifold wisdom to the world. See, this is the joy of getting to be the church together. This is why we have these shirts called table setters because Jesus has set the table for us. And then he says this, church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and set the table for others. Had an incredible conversation with somebody today right before service. Who, uh, who's a lawyer, and they met somebody through Michigan State who applied for them. Now that person's moved to Dallas, and this was their question. Do you know any churches in Dallas? And I was like, I got like 15 friends that are churches in Dallas, right? Because here's what happens. God in law offices wants to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. God in your cubicle God in your school, God in your home, God in your neighborhood is setting the table for you and I because God's plan is this. I want my power to be manifested in this world. See, you have an all-powerful God who's an all-empowering God. I wanna give you my power. Don't go looking for power out there. Begin to align your heart and your life with me This month, we wrap up a two-year journey that the Northside family's been on called Setting the Table. That's why we're wearing these shirts called Table Setters. Because over two years ago, actually it was five years ago that we began to pray, God, what are you having for us next? And what was incredible was this, we just saw God kind of lead us to expand our facility, to make room for more people, to make room for more kids. Uh, to begin to reach out, to set the table for more and more to say, God, we want to be a church that multiplies. We're praying about how God wants to plant more churches through his church here at Northside. And we're going, God, we're just in. And what was amazing is this, we had an incredible campaign, all this other stuff happened. And then literally two weeks after commitment weekend, COVID shut everything down. I'll be honest, I've never felt more powerless in my life. Here's the good news though, you ready? Ready? Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And what we want to do right now is we just want to see and celebrate all that God has done over the last two years through your generosity. Take a look at this.
1: After growing by 20% in weekend attendance and compelled by the love of God to make more room at His table, the Northside family embarked on a journey of courageous generosity with the Setting the Table campaign. In February of 2020 on Commitment Weekend, we each found ourselves stepping out and responding to that call. In the end, we found God's abundant blessing as we exceeded our goal by 3.3 million in committed and expected giving over the next two years. God showed up, and then within a matter of days, the world shut down, leaving Northside to wonder, how do we fulfill this call when we can't even open our doors? It seemed impossible, yet that didn't stop God. In time, we were able to reopen our doors, and throughout the entire COVID-19 pandemic, your generosity has not wavered. Thanks to this, we have been able to finish the West Auditorium, which has allowed us to serve our student ministry unlike ever before and expand our programming for adults. Upgrade to HD cameras for our online community, a community we saw grow to over 2,300 every weekend and span to multiple countries. Give $75,000 to our Groups That Serve campaign to impact our local community for Christ. Send an additional $85,000 for severe disaster relief to our mission partners in Haiti. Hold important events like Lead Well, School of Ministry, Kids' Side Camp, and our first annual Kingdom Conference. Baptize over 415 people and pay off our mortgage debt, allowing us to open more resources to where God calls us to next. When the world changed, so did our plans. but in prayer and the Lord's guidance, we were able to pivot, finding new ways to glorify Him. So what's next? In the coming months, we will renovate the Centrum, which will allow us to expand our kids' side space, keep room for our care ministry, and create much-needed office space for staff. This was an incredible season of generosity, but the invitation isn't over. The invitation is to continue to be table setters, seeking people and inviting them into what God is doing. Jesus was, is and always will be the head of the church and we will continue setting the table for others to experience him. We are incredibly excited for what's ahead as Northside is uniquely positioned to multiply and bring more to his table here, in our region and around
0: the world. Let's thank God for his faithfulness over the last two years. I want to invite you. After service, we got some of these table table setter shirts out in the lobby. You can pick one up for free out there. And this is the call, just to be people who go set the table, to go out and tell people about the good news of Jesus. This comes from Luke chapter 14. And this is the reason why Paul writes this passage, because we go through seasons of life like we have over the last two years where we feel absolutely powerless. Powerless. You know, here's the reality for all of us in this place. This is what I know for several of you, you guys are some of the most gifted and talented people I know. There comes a point in time where all of our gifts and our talents aren't enough and they run out and they can't carry us through. And what do we do then? This is why Paul says this in Colossians 1:18. He says, remember, he's not just the head of the body of the church, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, meaning this, in every moment, in every season where you feel like it's a dead end, it's not, because Jesus is over that moment. In every place where you feel like sin will be the end of your story, he says, no, you have a savior. In every place where shame is holding you back, he says, no, I've come to set you free. In every place where you face death, he goes, no, I've conquered death. Yes, it's painful, but here's the good news. I've come and I've died and I rose again. And so death will not get the final word on this earth. He's the firstborn from among the dead. what he's saying is this, Jesus is our power when you and I are powerless. When the power goes out, when the story changes, when the tables get turned, and you don't have power and control, you have a savior who is your power and control. Paul writes this, the same writer here in Colossians chapter one, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 26. Listen what he says, he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of who you were before you became a follower of Jesus. Not many of you were wise by human standards. I'm like, how do you know my ACT score, right? You know, Paul, how do you know this, right? He's like, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you had many Twitter followers here. Not many of you were of noble birth. Some of you, you, didn't, you weren't born into a family that had it all. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom, power, control from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, boast in the power that God has. Some of you are going, Nate, I need that today. How do you and I engage that? How do you and I begin to activate the power of God in our life? We know there's two different types. We know there's a power from below and a power from above. How do I begin to tap into that power? Because I need it. Here's what we're gonna find. Jesus is counterintuitive. Because God's power is always received. It's not achieved. God's power is always received. Saw Bob today get baptized, What an incredible story. Through the loss of his dad, he finds power. How do you do that? You know the one who's over everything. You know the one who's over everything. Jesus actually says this to his disciples in Acts chapter 1.8 before he sends them out to go tell the world. This is our vision statement, to go and connect unconnected people from Jesus Christ. He says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive it. You're not gonna achieve it. You're gonna receive it, which means this. You and I have to open our lives up, open the brokenness, open up the places of our life to receive the power of God. Because the spirit is from Jesus, and it's for Jesus. It's received, it's not achieved. Part of it, that's the reason why you feel like you're on a hamster wheel. You're just running, and you're running faster, and you're like, and if I run faster, I'll finally get it. You're not going to get it. The power of God is only received when you turn your life over. But here's the other thing, it's this. When we see our limitations... When we see when we've tried everything in our power to get control in our life, when we see our limitations, it's an invitation from God. When you've hit the wall, it's God's invitation to say, Let me begin to do a new work in your life. Jesus says this in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. He says this Blessed are the poor and spirit. Eugene Peterson translates it this way in the message. He says this, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope, because he says this, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you today who you go, I got nothing left. And he goes, great, now the kingdom can begin in your life. See, our limitations, our invitations from God, and here's what he's inviting us to do, to steward our lives, for the supremacy of Jesus. To steward our lives, to say, God, I want my family. God, I want my life. God, I want my career to be about your kingdom. God, I want what I do in my life to be for you. What's incredible is this. We've got two young ladies in our church. They've been phenomenal leaders here. One, Callie Broy has been a phenomenal intern with our care ministry. And, uh, and Kelsey Brown has worked with our kids side team. She's worked with our student team. They're part of our young adult ministry here. They have been incredible women of God, faithfully served and loved people. And in 2019, they went to Romania and God began to stir in their heart. And they thought one day it'd be great to come back and do an internship. And they had it all planned out. And then the pandemic hit and they thought, God, okay, we were gonna go do your will. What's your plan now? And here we are a couple of years later And they were trying to get back. They were trying to get back. And finally, a couple months ago, they had decided that they would leave on Monday, April 4th. That's tomorrow. To go serve those who have been forgotten, the Roma people in Romania. The only thing is this. By the time they had booked their flights, war has broken out. And if you don't know the geography, Romania butts up to Ukraine. And here was the decision they had to make. God, are we going to still go, even though the plans have changed? And after praying, and their parents praying, tomorrow morning at 1145, Kelsey and Callie are going to board a plane. And for the next three months, they're going to go serve the refugees and step out in faith. And what I've asked them to do this weekend, I asked them after every service, I said, could we just pray over you as a church? And uh, would you guys just welcome Callie and Kelsey up to the stage real quick. We just wanna pray over them. We're gonna pray over them here in a second, then we're gonna sing. And real quick, I I wanna be real clear about this. Uh, We are just celebrating the obedience that they've had. You don't have to go to another country to be obedient. You just need to open yourself up and say, God, we wanna steward our life for the supremacy of you. And Callie and Kelsey, we're so proud of you. You guys have done incredible work here by the power of God in you. And we know, we don't know all that he has for you, but we know who goes with you and you know, and we know who goes before you. And uh, in the Bible, what they would do is this, when they would commission people to go out, they would just kinda lay their hands on them as a blessing. And church family, I wanna invite you just to stand with me. And if you would, just extend your hand out towards Kelsey and, Cali, right now, we just want to pray over them. Then we're going to sing together. we is so proud of you. at Northside family will be praying over you the next three months. But if you would, just go ahead and extend your hand out to them right now. Father, we are so proud, God, of just their obedience and love for you. That Jesus, we know we don't have to go across an ocean to love somebody, to be faithful. But, God, sometimes you do call us to go across an ocean. To go across the hallway, or to go across the street, to share the love of you. And so, Father, we, we pray, one, for protection from the evil one over Callie and Kelsey both. Lord, would you protect them? God, would you protect their hearts and the minds, Lord, as they go into a new place for a long period of time? God, would you help them to not grow weary in doing good, but by the power of your spirit, would you give them rest? Would you give them energy? Would would you give them vision for your kingdom and how you want to bring your grace and your truth to those in need right now? Father, we're grateful for the ministry that they've done here for God, for the lives and the way that you've impacted so many of us. Lord, we say thank you for them. And God, we just pray that just like they are following and being obedient to you today, that Jesus, today and tomorrow and the day after, Lord, we would allow your power, your spirit to lead us. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. And everybody said together, amen. Let's pray together. Let's thank them right now. We're gonna sing.